You are listening to the Vijar Manthan Podcast. Namaste and welcome to another episode of the Vichar Manthan podcast. I am your host Sumit Sharma and it gives me great honor and great privilege to be hosting this project, a, a Dharmic project, a project of Vichar Manthan looking to explore modern day challenges, modern day notions, let's, let's explore reality through a Dharmic lens, through a civilizational lens um, of Dharmic attitude. So we are conducting in thought, in-depth interviews with some of the best thinkers of our time. We're trying to explore Dharma, we're trying to explore lives and see if we can recapture some of the ancient and classical ideals of sustainability, of liberty and flourishing. So encouraging everyone to tune in for an earnest conversation. We have discussed topics such as uh, womanhood, liberty, freedom, wealth, relationships, green future, philosophy, academia, and so much more. I'm very excited today to bring Fred Stella onto the platform. Fred um, grew up in Detroit. He studied uh, comms and media. The earliest part of his life, he was a Roman Catholic, um, and we're gonna talk to Fred about that in more detail. Um, he's the president of the of an interfaith dialogue. Uh, he also has a radio show slash podcast called Common Threads. Uh, he is a Pracharak of the West Michigan Hindu Temple, and he also sits on the leadership council of the Hindu American Foundation. Uh, so I think we have a lot to learn from Fred, his life, his journey, his his views on on life and also the the diaspora or at least being Hindu out in America. So, Fredji, namaste and welcome to the Vicharamantan podcast. Namaste. It's uh, just a pleasure and honor to be with you today. Thank you, Fred, and thank you for joining us. So, um, let's let's start at the beginning. What was a a young Fred like, and what what did the early life sort of begin, and how did that go? You know. I was a, a fairly dull child, dull in the sense that uh, I, I didn't have much intellectual capacity. Sure. There are those that say that that attribute has never left me, um, <laughs> but I was perhaps even duller. At the same time, even though I wasn't very bright, you know, in kindergarten, uh, a teacher told my mother, I don't know if Freddie will ever even be able to write his name. Okay, that's that's pretty dull. Yeah. Uh, a year later, I, I was writing my name uh, fairly legibly, um, and I I went on through school, college, the whole shot. Uh, but what was what I remember distinctly is that I would sometimes sequester myself from my family. Just, just go into some room, sit down, and I would meditate. Now, I didn't know I was meditating, and I was actually using a particular form of what I would find out to be later on a Hindu meditation. Interesting. Okay. okay. If, if you were to walk in on me and say, Freddie, what are you doing? I, I would have no answer for you whatsoever. It's something that happens spontaneously. And then as I grew older, uh, you know, that went away. 
I, I just didn't do that anymore. Okay. But, but the fact that I remember it from such a young age means something. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, I, that's probably quite a rare occurrence. I don't, I can't imagine many teachers being un, unequivocal in, in their approach, perhaps. Certainly in 1970, you are correct. Okay, yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. So the, uh, uh, I just was motivated and mm. I thought, okay, I, I need to, to learn more about this. At that time, again, 1970 Detroit there were very very few expressions of hindu dharma sure okay really um and the only one that that was that made itself public was iskhan okay yeah right so the only option i had if i wanted to go to a mandir would be to go to the iskhan mandir because by that time they were they were very, very public. They they had uh, public chanting in the uh, main street of of downtown Detroit every Saturday. But back in the seventies, right? This is oh uh, yeah. Okay, well, yeah. They, lot, they, lot were, of, they 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 know they they get publicity. I think they understand how to do that that very well. Yeah, yeah. So I knew that they existed. I approached one of them when I was downtown next. They gave me a card that talked about their uh, Sunday kirtan and Gita discourse and then uh, the, the dinner afterwards. And I found a friend of mine who could drive <laughs> and we went. And uh, again, I, I just, part of me said, this is home. Now, Iskan in particular was not my home. I, I am with a completely different Sampradai. Sure. But at that time, the answers that I got from them, I certainly appreciated much more and just felt that they were true. The, the relationship with divinity that we have was certainly less threatening. And, and, and what, what did other people think of Iskan or, or even Hinduism in general at that time? What was the sort of... Well, because of Iskan's really if i may use this term they're in your face uh mission work okay to be on the streets in mm. in all the major cities uh to be in airports uh they were considered eccentric okay and mm. at that time uh pretty much every man that you met regardless of whether you were going to the temple or whether you just saw them in the supermarket, they're going to be wearing dhoti. Mm. All right. And right. and they're going to have the shaved head with the tonsure. Nowadays, of course, uh, uh, members of ISKCON could look like everybody else. Yeah, you don't have to be so okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yes, they were they were considered eccentric. Um, and as far as Hinduism in general. I would say that most people just had no idea what it was. They knew it was foreign. They knew it was Indian. Uh, they they had, uh, I'm sure, a prejudgment that it was purely polytheistic. Okay, and and the the stuff you were learning, your your inquiries, you know, where you begin to resonate with thoughts and ideas. 
were you able to then answer some of these questions at least for yourself did you i was get... getting yes yes i was i was certainly getting close the, again the answers that i was getting on the big questions of life appealed to me more sure and it's not you know if if you were to ask me the meaning of life and I was going to tell you the meaning of life is pizza. You go, yes, that's great. Cause I love pizza. You know, that might be an answer you just want to believe. And so you believe it, okay. but then there are answers that you get. And it's not that you, you want to believe them. It's just that you do believe them, that, that there's just something about it that makes sense. Yeah. The idea of a, a judgmental deity that will allow people to burn for all eternity in a fiery pit the 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 you know the, the hell godly, huh the, the the hell yeah yeah exactly and 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 why would you go to hell well certainly you can go to hell for murdering somebody uh or raping somebody and all of that but you would also go to hell for being a part of the wrong religion oh dear and <laughs> and you did not like the, the sound of i that. did not like that at all no no so the idea in in hindu dharma that uh uh god doesn't care what religion you're in mm -hmm. he cares about the kind of person you are and what you're attempting to do with your life and all of those other things it made sense to me it was it was very comforting and it seemed true because i'd already uh inwardly denounced the the other so in the sort of formative years of your life, I guess you've you've gone from from Christ to Krishna. Was that the, the transition? You know, it, here's the thing: I never stopped loving Jesus because when I would read Jesus, for the most part, uh, the he appealed to me. His life appealed to me, and so even today, I have no problem. I I still uh, refer to the Gospels. Uh, uh, a, a great deal. So it wasn't like I traded Jesus for Krishna. And of course, when you're with ISKCON, all you're going to hear about in the Pantheon is Krishna. Of course. And then, of course, uh, uh, after my experience with ISKCON, uh, I, I broadened myself to learn a, a, a much, much more uh, uh not only about the the pantheon but also the great thinkers uh in particular patanjali and swami shankar Th those are the two historical figures uh with which i i identify the most right so um to take us through the sort of the next couple of years of your life maybe so i know you've mentioned on on various podcasts before that maybe it was it was in your early 30s then when you sort of really became um defined say in your identity what what did it take for that to happen what did the quest ensue what types of conclusions did you come to you know uh it's interesting because it took me a long time to acknowledge that i was a hindu okay and part of it was the lack of community. Okay, I could. Yeah, you said Detroit, right? There was well. Well, at that time, I, I moved to Grand Rapids. So, for people who are not aware, uh, Grand Rapids—it's the second largest city in Michigan. It's a couple of hours away from Detroit. Right. And I moved 
uh, there when I was 25. I moved here. I'm, I'm still in Grand Rapids. And uh, 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 I, I had no community. I could no longer easily go to the Iskon Temple, which I did still from time to time mm. uh, when I was when I was in Detroit. And I was just kind of on my own. On, but I did hook up with a meditation group. Um, but the greater Hindu community, it took me a while to connect with. So I remember a couple of things because I would I would identify as that we weren't using the term back then, but this this spiritual but not religious. Yeah, I've heard a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, okay. So again, I didn't use that term, but that's kind of what I was. Right. right. I called myself a Zen Catholic for a while, uh, not knowing where else to put myself, and then. The, the the Hindu community started to grow, and I and I started connecting with it. I started going to to local Hindu functions. Uh, people would have pujas at their homes, and I started going to those. So I had community, and uh, I remember distinctly. I started subscribing to Hinduism Today magazine. And I had a question. I ended up calling someone, and I cannot remember why, but it was somebody connected with the, the magazine, and this is back in the 80s. Uh, and I said something, and the person said something about being Hindu, and I said, well, I don't really identify as Hindu. And he paused and he just went, oh, and that affected me because if you sat the two of us down and you, you asked us our beliefs and you asked us our practices, they would be really, really close. Yeah. So yeah. why is he a Hindu and I'm not a Hindu? That's, that's interesting to hear. And I think in the world today, identity is a big problem. It's a big thing that people struggle with. I think people play politics with identity as well, mm -hmm. where you associate with things, you identify as things. Um, was that the challenge back then also? Was it important to have an identity or a, a religious identity or, or even give it a name? Was that a... I would say for most people their religious identity was very people who were religious uh and even people who were nominally religious uh for instance people who were christian but only went to church on christmas and easter it was still important for them to for the most part to identify as christian mm -hmm. they liked that and then some people would would uh really identify strongly with their denomination I'm Lutheran, okay. I'm Presbyterian, right. even though they, again, twice a year, they go to church. Sure. Ask them, you know, they could be Lutheran and you know, you'd ask them, well, what's the difference between a Lutheran and a Presbyterian? They'd have no idea. <laughs> okay. No, they, they could not defend their faith. That's a, that's a, a classic Christian term, defend the faith. Um, so I, I would have liked to, I think earlier, and I didn't know what the qualifications were. And here's the thing with Hinduism, 
and Buddhism to some degree that's different from the other major religions. If you run into somebody and you say, hey, um, why don't you have lunch with me next week? And he says, oh, I can't, it's Ramadan. You know the person is Muslim. Okay, sure. Yeah, if you say, if you if you were to say, oh, I didn't know you were Muslim, he's not going to say, well, I'm not really Muslim, uh, but, you know, I'm spiritual, but not religious. But yeah, I do practice, uh, I do fast on Ramadan, I pray five times a day, and I'm taking Hajj to Mecca next year. They're Muslims. Yeah, we got no problem yeah. saying that. Yeah. Okay, Christians the same way for the most part. If you if if you uh, say, hey, are you going to uh, want to go to lunch with me next week, next Friday? And the guy says, well, no, it's Good Friday. We we fast on Good Friday. He's a Catholic. Yeah. C case closed. You run into somebody and say, hey, you want to go to lunch with me next week? He says, well, I can't. I'm going on a meditation retreat led by a Swami, and we're going to learn advanced pranayama techniques techniques, and have a Shiva Abhishekam. Uh, and, and, oh, sorry, Hindu. Well, no, not really. <laughs> I don't like to, I don't like to have labels. <laughs> is that, is that a problem? It's not, uh, to say a problem. I will, I would never coerce someone sure. to identify with any label that they don't want to, they don't feel like it. It's just interesting that in hinduism and again in buddhism to this you right you can pick up a you can take up a, a a buddhist meditation practice you can have a picture of the dalai lama on your altar but you can also say that no i'm i'm still catholic or i'm presbyterian i just adopted a, a buddhist meditation so, practice it, it, it it's it's basically it is the generosity of the dharmic religions to say yeah. here take we, yes. we we don't require you to be a member to enjoy the fruits of this phenomenal civilization. I, I think that, and that's the plurality of of this quote unquote religion, right? That yes. the way of life has so many facets that that approach and resonate with with different individuals. And I, I've said this before: you go somewhere to India, to Bharat, and stand and travel hundred miles in any direction, let's say. You'll find a different type of people that eat different food, maybe wear their clothes slightly differently, celebrate their religion in different ways, uh, talk another language. Yet there is this this binding fabric uh, across India, this this Hinduness, this Dharmic aptitude that that exists across, and even outside of India, actually the the diaspora, um, like we have here in the UK, and I'm sure in the US, I've, I've spoken to many people, um, especially at the Hindu American Foundation, also that. That share this this quality, this uniqueness. So, uh, uh, Fred, Fred, you tell me a bit about the West Michigan Hindu Temple and and the time you spent there, and now you are a, a pracharak, and and what that means. Sure. So, we have only been a temple for um, about fourteen years, and when we formed. Because, of course, before that, for the most part, we were just meeting in people's homes, okay. by and large. And when we formed, we realized something about almost all ethnic uh, uh, congregations of, of any faith, 
Christian, Hindu, Buddhist, whatever. And that is that they tend to be insular. They tend so like to a, like ethnic. Yes. Yeah, yeah, sure. There are plenty of ethnic churches. You know, you have Vietnamese Catholic churches, Korean uh, okay. Uh, okay. Protestant churches. Yes, absolutely. There, there's uh, plenty of of uh, immigrant churches that are that, that are Christian. And, the, and, and you're saying they're all very they're very insular to themselves. And the same thing with the with the Buddhist community. Uh, we have a, a Vietnamese Buddhist temple here, and again. The only word I can describe is insular or or sequestered, sequestered. They they just uh, uh, keep to themselves, if you will. Well, why do you think that is? Why what's what is it about? And, well, and you're I saying think, this is sort of in in America, maybe? I mean, I, I'm I'm sure it has to do with the fact that this is their comfort zone. Mm. That uh, th this is where they can be free to speak their native language, to hold their services in their native language. Mm. Uh, it, during during the week, they're probably working with a variety of people, and they they take great comfort in knowing that on such and such a day they are going to be with their people. People, so of their whether kind. they're yeah. yeah, huh? People of their sort of kind of their elk. Yeah, and and. They're not uh, jumping over hoops, jumping through hoops. You can jump over a hoop, too, yeah, I guess. You but we're, you know what I'm saying. To let people in, to, to okay, to let people into their house of worship, to just observe, maybe even to be a part of it. Mm. They, they, they just don't. So the board of directors of the West Michigan Hindu Temple wisely realize that they did not want to be that that mm -hmm. they wanted people outside of the hindu community outside of the indian community to be a part of our uh, uh not not to join the temple necessarily by all means that but open doors that. you know you, you can come in if you like and inquire exactly and yes yes and so we developed the the role what we call pracharic. Now, it, it, I'm sure many people watching this know what a pracharic is when you talk about RSS or HSS. This, the way we use pracharic, we define it as outreach minister. Okay. So the goal of the pracharic is to bring the community into the temple and the temple into the community. Hmm. Right. So a, another thing too is with, with a lot of immigrant uh, uh, faith expressions that they, they don't appear in the greater community. So, sure. so, right. So for instance, if there is an event, let's say an interfaith event, the, the Christian is probably going to be a white man or woman who's a minister, sure, yeah. not, not somebody who's a Vietnamese Catholic. Right. So we wanted to have a presence in the greater community. Not, so not only did we want to have people from the greater community come into the temple, we wanted exposure in the, the, the greater community because, for instance, for people who don't know anything about Hinduism, this is a great way yeah, to, to, to break down barriers, to, to uh, uh, smash stereotypes, and uh, essentially defeat ignorance. So that, that that's what sounds sounds like a um, that's a great idea. It's a great role to have, you know, someone to yeah. actually 
carry out proactive outreach. And I think discussing this before, a, a typical Panditji uh, uh, or, or a Maharaj, for example, is more in the community rather than doing proactive outreach. Um, He's in the temple community, mm. right? The, 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 the typical uh, Pujari mm. Pandit is in the temple, and that's where pretty much all of their work is unless uh, uh, they have to go to somebody's home to do a private puja or something. But they're still doing sort of like temple activities. It's still temple activity, exactly. Mm. And of mm. course, a lot of uh, Pujaris, wonderful as they are, they don't always have the language ability that is needed for outreach work. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. What, so, what, why so, why is that important? Well, if you're going to give a talk on Hinduism at a at a university, you, you should you got to know how to connect to to that audience and talk. Well, you need to speak English really well. Sure. Okay, and if English is like not your second language, but perhaps your third or fourth mm -hmm. language, mm -hmm. right? Then, and and certainly, the, I I have met pundits around the country, who, uh, who uh, meaning the United States, who speak English very very well. Yeah. But I've also met a lot of pundits who don't. They speak three or four or five Indian languages. And they can get by with English, but to deliver sure. a lecture, to actually be an ambassador for that, their community, that probably, that's, that's probably a greater responsibility there. And and you mentioned sort of on the topic of interfaith, if you are a if you are representing the Hindu faith and you need to go speak at say a church or a, or indeed an interfaith event or dialogue, then there's a certain frame or frame of reference to yes. be effective in your communication about. Hinduism or, or, or absolutely Hindutra. absolutely sure and and so what we did and I believe this is unique because there are a number of people in temples across the United States Canada and England I'm sure that if you if you if, if a, a school called a temple and said mm -hmm. we would like to have somebody come speak at our history class or anthropology class you, you, you could probably find someone and they do a wonderful job. But the board felt that it was important that the person who holds the position of Prachar also be legally ordained okay. as, as a, a clergy member. Ah, that's very interesting. So give a sort of official yes. rubber stamp almost recognized by law? Yes, recognized by law. Wow. Yes. Uh, uh, um, so when I am at a an interfaith clergy event, mm. I'm clergy. So I can sit at the same table with the imam, okay. the Catholic priest, so, the Jewish rabbi, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's a there's a there's a waiting behind it, not just in. Uh, in the Hindu circles per se, but actually with the rest of society, how they hold up a figurehead in society, like you're saying, you can sit at the same table, okay? Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, and that has been one of the most, I mean, in the top three rewarding experiences in my life. Could you share with us a, a particular moment where that has been fruitful to have, either for yourself or for the, for the temple? 
There have been a few. Let me let me think of uh, of one or two. Uh, I would say this. I am also legally uh, credentialed to perform weddings. Okay. All right. Now, I do not do Vedic weddings. If two Hindus want to to get married in Grand Rapids, they don't they don't come to me. They go to the pundits. Okay. Having said that, I have sort of co-officiated if 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 that's the correct term where the pundit and I worked together in the ceremony and it was my job to interpret for the 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 greater community because of course when when two hindus get married the 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 congregation is going to be a lot more than hindu okay all of their office friends and family who've never been to a hindu wedding before are going to be there and you know it's it's a couple hours long and to, just to hear somebody uh uh, uh speaking sanskrit that's not going to mean much, much no, to them, right? <laughs> right. And so, okay, so you're providing sort of extra support and guidance and and, and yes. translation and uh, making it a bit more real and applicable for them. That 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 is the goal. Yes. So I have done that on several occasions. Okay. But the people who I marry are not Hindu. Uh, although I did do, I have done a a, a couple of of. Um, weddings where one person was hindu okay. one person wasn't and they did not want a temple ceremony sure. the, the 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 weddings that i do are usually between people who have an affinity for the dharma they may meditate they may do hatha yoga they may they may share many of our beliefs but they're not hindu maybe they nominally belong to some other religion the, the, all of the stories are different sure but the fact but, but is, they're doing they're doing hindu things or they have a many of them many of them do they they have a hindu way of life it's it's not like i make them fill out a form and yeah, I, sure. okay but people come to me and and here's the thing many of them they grew up christian i would say the vast majority of people for whom i have officiated their weddings they grew up christian they still have a sense of spirituality but they feel that they would be hypocrites to go back to the church of their childhood and say hey you know i haven't been here in 20 years but it's really beautiful in here so i want to get married right. just for the aesthetics really it's they want deeper meaning exactly so and so they they do not want a wedding they they come to me because they don't want to go to a judge Mm. Uh, uh, some government official who could legally marry them just do paperwork okay yeah exactly they they want spirituality so the, the temple board and i came to this this understanding that i would be they would ordain me to legally marry couples outside of the temple mm. occasionally somebody will ask for a, a brief uh, um, ceremony. Um, okay. uh, that is to say, a ritual, a particular okay. Hindu ritual, uh, part of uh, the uh, uh, part of the Vedic ceremony. For instance, the the rotation around the fire 
okay. seven times. Or, or, or the seven steps or, or something. Yes, exactly, right. But for the most part, it is uh, uh, there's there's not a lot of ritual into it, in it. And if you were to attend, I'm sure everyone who's watching this, I'm going to guess, has been to a Protestant wedding. Yeah, I've been to a few church weddings myself. Of course. Yeah, yeah. The wedding that I would perform, the choreography looks Protestant. The father and, and in, in a church as well, or sort of just no, not not in a church, okay. but we're in a hall, say right. in a catering right. hall. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, you have the you have the uh, bride walking with the father, meeting the groom. Okay. You so it, it outwardly kind of looks it outwardly looks very Western, yes, mm. because this is what is familiar to their family. You don't want to ask them to sit cross-legged around a oh, big on the floor, yeah. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> <laughs> and have tilak and all of that. So uh, anyway, the choreography looks Protestant, but what I do, the message that I share in the wedding is all Dharmic. Uh, okay. Uh, so one of the, at its essence, at its core, the the sort of the, the yes. principles and and exactly the, the sermon I, uh, that you're talking about is what one of my constants is uh, sharing the uh, the purushottras, the, the 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 four goals, and and how that is so important to a wedding. I mean, to I'm rather to a marriage mm. where you you both are aiming for kama artha. Uh, and uh, Dharma and Moksha that, right. that and, and I explain each and every one of them. And one of the reasons we do this, first of all, we consider consider it a, a community service. Yeah. That, that we are helping people who may not have another place to go if they want something spiritual, if they want something somewhat Dharmic. And uh, second of all, this gives us the opportunity to present Hinduism to uh, a, a group of people who never have been into a temple. Uh, yeah, they otherwise would have no contact with, with that. Exactly. They, they've never met a Hindu in their lives. And so this gives us an opportunity just to share a morsel of it to people. Do you think the, the, the plural nature of, of Hinduism allows for that? I, I'm sure. You can go, hey, you know what? I could rob a bank today because I think I'm I'm one of the chosen. I'm one of the elect. It's not that. Okay. What what this theology says is, if you are chosen, if God has it in His plan for you to go to heaven, there are certain signs, there are certain attributes that you will naturally have, and these tell you. So, for instance, if you want to love God. That's a good sign, all right. If you try, if if love love of God happens upon you, that's a good sign. What, what, now, huh? What, what does that say about free will? I, am I? Oh, oh I no, they're, they're not. Lose? They're not. No, they don't. They don't go into that. Okay. I mean, they don't. They're not. They're not into free will. But okay, they're just not into it. No. No. Uh. -uh. Um. So. So as I say, there are signs. Oh. Um. Um. Traditionally, uh, wealth is also a sign. If, if God is blessing you with material wealth, then it can't be of your own merit. It's because God allowed yeah. you to have it. Yes. Okay. Okay. 
Uh, I, you, you've not heard of the Protestant work ethic? I have not. It's, that, please tell that, me. That, that, that's, a, that's a real American thing. Okay. Uh, 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 you will want to work. You will want to work hard. And that is a gift of God. Now, I'm, I'm getting to, to um, oh, doubt. Okay. If you doubt, that might be a negative sign. That might tell you that you're not chosen for heaven. See what I'm saying? Yeah, it's a very uh, polar. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So okay. if, if so, so they, they would say someone who is part of the elect—that that is the term they use, elect. Sure. If you are part of the elect, you will not doubt. And then, if you do doubt, well, I don't know if you're part of the elect. So there's a fear of doubt in that in that particular now now having said all of this let me say because because i live in a very reformed heavy community grand that's rapids it, that's, that's quite hard to reconcile really there seems like a lot of uh i don't know if restrictions is the right word but a very structured sort of format that doesn't allow for being being agile in in your approach perhaps you're either one or the other have i read that right is that maybe i just don't have the experience it's complicated. Okay, <laughs> I'm sure you don't want to spend that much time on it, but but I do live in a heavily reformed community, as I say. And, and I can also tell you that the new generation of reformed ministers and, and laity, the, the actual churchgoers, many of them are rethinking or trying to put a new spin on what I've been telling you. What I've been telling you is classical reformed thinking. Interesting. Okay. And uh, I'm sure that I could invite some of my colleagues who are reformed Christians, and they would say, oh, yeah, okay, that that was so 300 years ago. Let's Let me tell you where we're going out but there still are plenty of people plenty of people in my community that would that would say that that they had no uh, uh their free will did not get them to god interesting interesting yes yes another th another thing too and uh, uh there are five points of calvinism and the first point is total depravity meaning that at our core we are totally depraved. As you can imagine, some people have a hard time. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I understand, but let's uh, let's not dwell too much on that. Um, yeah, yeah. Fredji, we're going we're to go into what I call the rapid fire round. Um, okay. So we'll, we'll have some quick fire questions that perhaps let our audience understand you a little bit better. So let's get into it. All right. Uh, if you were deserted on a, uh, if you were stranded on a deserted island, what three items would you take with you, and why? Three items. Yes. I would take my mala. Uh, I would take my freezer chest. Okay. And a motorboat. Sounds good. What goes into your perfect breakfast smoothie? What is a breakfast movie? Smoothie, smoothie. 
smoothie. <laughs> <laughs> I've had that before, actually. That's interesting. <laughs> okay. My perfect bre uh, uh, breakfast smoothie would be oat milk based, a little bit of honey. And as much as I do like uh, um, vegetable smoothies, in the morning, it's got to be all fruit. So I'm nice. talking about apples, bananas, strawberries, and blueberries. Awesome. Very similar to something I have. Very nice. Yes. So next next smoothie at yours, Fred, we'll have to uh, <laughs> join for breakfast. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Ah, you know, I, this is going to be very boring. Probably you hear that, hear this a lot, but uh, just because I dream about it so much, I'd love to fly. Okay, nice. Do, do, do you reckon it would take energy? Like, would you get tired of flying like you get tired of running? I wouldn't want that. No, I would have to fly like Superman. Yeah, just, you want the uh, unlimited flying Yeah, power. I don't want to <laughs> flap my arms or breathe heavily or anything like, no, I just want to. Sure. Like like gliding gliding through a swimming pool. You don't when you're not moving your arms and legs. You're just gliding. That's what I want. Heavenly, heavenly. Yes. Um, do you have a favorite book? Yes, my favorite book is Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramhansa Yogananda. Uh, right here. Oh, yay! <laughs> One thing I did not mention in this, if I could very quickly, is that aside from my work at the Hindu temple. I am also uh, in a leadership position of the local chapter of Yogananda's organization, Self-Realization Fellowship. And that yeah. means a lot to me as well. Very nice. We can explore that a little later on. Yeah. And um, do you have a favorite quote? Yes. I hope that I would be willing to die for my religion. But a good argument could talk me out of it. Okay. Because I've been thinking about this. I need to be more physically, environmentally organized. Okay. And I and and I I challenged myself for a short period of time a few years ago. And I said, if I can just do this for like a, a month, just a little over a month. Mm. And I did that. And I was really pleased at the results but then they say, well the month is over and then i lost it and then and then recently i said no i i really do want to be more organized if you were to see my desk i will say this it doesn't look like it's dharmically inspired interesting let's try to bring dharma into all aspects of our life so <laughs> good luck to you now i'm forever trying to make my desk a, a, a great place to work and, and live in yeah thank yeah. you for that um last but not least and we kind you kind of touched on on dharma earlier but what what does the term sustainability mean to you well the way that it is used today is uh, uh, almost exclusively in an ecological sense, mm. and I'm I'm strongly committed to all of those forces in our lives, uh, nonprofit, governmental, industrial, that seek to sustain us mm. as a planet. Uh, 
so that's that's what first comes to me now certainly sustainability i mean i also have to sustain my body i have to sustain my marriage i have to sustain my uh my professional life but when i hear uh, sustainability used in conversation today my mind immediately goes to the environment and sure. and i am very passionate about it about uh, you know what i support philanthropically uh and uh uh to to a certain degree a, a significant degree i think how i spend my money mm. interesting very nice thank you thank you fred for for that on the rapid fire rounds we'll we'll end that there and, and get back into the main conversation and, and just to call out to everyone listening at home this is the vichara month podcast today we are speaking to fred stella uh who, who's over in uh, america telling us about his journey uh, from being roman catholic now being hindu in in his nature and the various uh, avenues of his life in in which that manifests uh, you can catch this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're on Audible now as well, and also YouTube to catch the video content of this. So please do tune in, uh, like and share, and, and share it with anyone that could do with listening to this conversation. Uh, Vichar Mantan as well is holding panel discussions, book clubs, uh, and writing papers up and down the country here in the UK. Uh, and I know we have listeners all across the world uh, tuning in. So thank you once again to, to everyone there. So back back to the episode now with Fred Stiller. Fred G, thank you for joining us so far. Uh, I wanted to pick up on a, a role that you have. You are the president of the Interfaith Dialogue, and you also have a, a radio show, a podcast called Common Threads that deal with religions around the world and, and spirituality. And, and, and yeah, you've met amazing people on the way. I, I definitely feel that on, on hosting the Vichara Mantra podcast. I'm getting to speak to experts around the world and, and, and poke and prod them. And I think they're humble enough and kind enough to let me do that um, in, in, in the face of Dharma. So uh, even with yourself, Reggie, thank you, you know, for let, letting me uh, take, <laughs> take poke a look into your, your life and, and yeah. what makes up. Um, but just on the, on the yeah. interfaith thing, Yes. Um, I and we spoke about this earlier. There's, there's probably a lot of lot of Hindus, a lot of um, not even just Hindus, but Dharmic based faith uh, uh, people that would snub the idea of interfaith dialogue. They feel maybe it's a waste of time, or perhaps other religions and faiths of the world don't have time for Hinduisms or non-believers gafirs that kind of thing you know there's 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 certainly a disdain towards the other what do you say to that i would say that interfaith engagement has been extremely rewarding for me mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that i haven't had to nudge for a seat at the table okay all right okay and what you have to do Number one is you have to have your, you have to go in with the right expectations or no expectations is even better, okay. which is also very dharmic. Mm. You go in and you realize that if you are, if you are dialoguing with clergy, it's a whole lot different from dialoguing with the rank and file the members of the churches and the synagogues and the mosques because the clergy they have a company line so to speak they have they're out 
to represent their faith and they can only go so far in terms of acceptance but the rank and file are free to think and say what they want and so what i have found is that well i've given so many lectures at churches where someone will come up to me and say you know i actually think i'm a hindu (laughs) (laughs) after listening to you he goes like this is what i believe but, but they wow. you know they maintain their their membership in the church because that's what they've been doing for 70 years and they're not going to stop now but but philosophically i i just see so many you, you can tell when you're talking to somebody and they're having an aha moment mm. Mm. something that they've never thought about before in their lives and then you you put the idea in their head and you see it's kind of working you know i've had that happen several times um another thing is you have to you can't take your ball and go home after one snub two snubs three snubs you just have to keep at it and i'm very pleased to say that we have now a solid seat at the interfaith table a solid seat now there are some there are some events where say for instance the abrahamics there are Mm. some uh uh events where we aren't wanted and that's okay because if the interfaith event is the comparison of the bible and the quran we don't need to be there i mean at least not on the podium we might want to attend as a civilian but the abrahamics have a lot of stuff to work out themselves yeah i think we we all have our challenges and definitely that divide or the the difference between the dharmic based faiths and the abrahamic faiths is quite wide because you you hear a lot of things like all religions are the same all religions seek peace oh my god only one god (laughs) you know I, i you know what i tell you there's probably a lot of people that haven't thought too much about that and only through my own self discovery and and speaking to 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 like-minded people and people of different faiths do you actually say well no religions aren't all the same they don't all say the same thing they don't all preach or or teach the same um, guidance or steps they are very different in their nature and their approach and some are very prescriptive and regimented and, and have rules and some are more open and um have have guidance um for example and i i don't think it's until someone does their own self-inquiry or do some research do they discover their own faith or their own culture at, at the next level of detail and so i guess part of that is is going through a month and doing a vichar month and on on said topics um, yes especially when it when it comes to to interfaith um fred you tell us tell us about your leadership position with with the hindu american foundation what draws you to them and sort of what what do you have to do in that role well you remember what i told you about uh embarking on any new fruitful activity what it takes a, a lot apparently yeah a swift kick well i got one <laughs> uh i have a, a very dear friend and colleague that just made it 
what seemed to be at the time her life's work to get me involved in Hindu American Foundation. Sure. Not that I was opposed to it, mind you. Sure. Uh, but it was as if I, I, I don't even recall if she ever asked me <laughs> if I wanted to be. But she just, just made it happen. The, the divine boot. The divine boot strikes again. Yes, it does. And uh, uh, I remember the very first thing that I attended. So Hindu American Foundation is an advocacy org. Uh, and one of the things we do, we do many things, but one of the things we do, and one of my favorite things to do is to uh, descend upon Washington, D.C. as a group and meet with senators and representatives in our government to encourage them to vote for legislation that benefits not only Hindu Americans, but certainly Hindu Americans. Uh, uh, we're, we're, we would be in that group of people. So for instance, a lot of Hindu Americans are immigrants mm. as they're Nepali or Indian or Caribbean Americans or, or not necessarily citizens yet. Uh, so we, we do a, a lot of work with immigration reform. We do, uh, uh, we've supported legislation, say, opposing hate crimes, sure. uh, things like that. I've seen a few things. I think Hindus in America face a lot of challenges. There's been a, a caste issues and things trying to get into uh, into court and what have you. I've, we've spoken to Sahabji Shukla. She's been on, on the, the Vajama <laughs> podcast before. So there are, are lots of challenges that, that HAF are, are tackling and and um, yes, yes, with. indeed. But um, what now? What I'm talking about specifically are those challenges that could uh, be improved legislatively. Sure. Right. Uh, and and so that trip to Washington, where uh, uh, and I I was not uh, a member of the council or anything like that. I was just a supporter. Mm. But going into the offices of senators and representatives and speaking to them and their senior aides and uh, uh, preparing, being well-schooled in uh, whatever uh, legislation was was up for a vote sure. and being able to try to persuade them. I, I mean, it was more exciting than voting and I love to vote, but because okay. uh, it allowed me to actually feel like I was part of the political process that I could affect change. That was my introduction to Hindu American foundation. Excellent. And then shortly after that, within, I don't know, year or two, they invited me to be on the national leadership council. And I, by that time was completely sold that this is, this is where I need to be. Excellent. So we'll we'll drop a link below to, to anyone that's not visited the Hindu American Foundation and, and where they can maybe contact you as well. So um mm -hmm. Reggie, it's it's been great to talk to you. I've certainly learned a lot about your your life and your um thoughts on the, the, the way sort of like you know life is put together and the journey that you've been on. Is there a, a specific call to action or or a parting thought or a pearl of wisdom you'd like to share with, with the listeners uh, of the VM podcast? You know, since we are talking about Hindu American Foundation, I would say this to those uh, who follow you in the United States. One of the reasons that we are challenged here 
in this country. And I know that you share some of what we deal with. But there is a great deal of Hindu phobia, mm. right? On on campuses, uh, sometimes in business, in society in general, uh, vandalism at temples, etc. And there are different remedies for different problems. But one issue we have is that when it comes to affecting political change and social change, the other major world religions have been supporting their advocacy organizations for decades. Mm. And their advocacy organizations are incredibly wealthy. Now, I'm not talking about the people who work for them. I'm yeah, talking about yeah. the organization. The institutions themselves. They have the ability to affect change. They have the ability to affect how people think of them. Mm. The Hindu American community has been very lax. Very lax. I think it's when the you, same. It's the same here in the UK. You know, there are really, yeah, for sure. The the Hindu population, I think, needs to invest in that change, owning narratives. And I think, like you've you've said, the political and the influential uh, advantages other faith groups and religions have is, like you said, decades right of work. So there's a lot of work for us to do as individuals to rally around institutions. And I think you're saying Hindu American Foundation is is one of those answers. And I know there are notable causes here in the UK and across the world trying to do similar things. Yes. So I I was going to say I don't know what the the equivalent of the Hindu American Foundation or equivalents, I'm sure there are more than one, mm. in the UK. So to my American friends, I implore you to, when you are thinking about where you're going to uh, uh, spend your dollars for the improvement of the, of the world of the country, think about uh, Hindu American Foundation as one of those options. And if you are in a country where we don't operate, which means every other country besides the United States, mm. to find an advocacy uh, organization that supports the Dharma. And if there isn't one in your country, think about starting one. Set one up. So we're trying to do a lot of that here at Vichar Manthan. So uh, you know, we we have a well wishes program. But thank you, Fred G, for for sharing those insights with us. Um, and and to everyone listening at home, you know, we'll we'll be posting these links. So do do uh, click on the links, figure out where advocacy lies, where you sit with that, where you can contribute and contribute with in time, money, energy, and effort. So, uh, Fred G, thank you once again for joining us on the Vichara Month and Podcast. It's been a privilege to host you and to to hear more about you. And to everyone listening at home, thank you for tuning in. Uh, this has been another fantastic conversation where we are looking at modern day concepts and bringing an earnest conversation. And I think with Fred G in particular here, an earnest seeker of, of truth who seems to have found some of his own light and, and now is advocating and, and sharing that with the world through his role as, as, as a Prajarak with West Michigan Hindu Temple, through various interfaith dialogues and, and serving on, on HAS board. So Fred G, thank you once again for joining us. Sumit Ji, it's been a pleasure. Namaste. Thank you. And to everyone listening at home, my name is Sumit Sharma. I am the host for you here today on the Jaramanthan podcast. Looking forward to sharing more Dharmic concepts 
and bringing this conversation about in an earnest manner. Thank you and namaste.